We are beginning a new sermon series today on the book of Daniel. And this series will carry us through the upcoming fall season. And I was uh, chatting with another member of our diocese about this sermon series, inviting them. Uh, there'll be a guest preacher virtually uh, in the coming weeks. And they said, wow, Daniel, the book of Daniel in an election season and a pandemic. Y'all are bold. And I found that kind of disconcerting because I didn't think that we were being bold by choosing the book of Daniel. But after thinking about it a little bit, I thought, oh, that does actually make sense because the book of Daniel is both potentially quite confusing and even controversial. It's confusing because there are a number of interpretive issues, challenges with this book. One of the things is it's one of the few books of the Bible that has multiple languages. We'll give a, a prize. How about this? A prize to whoever can put in the chat what two languages are represented in the book of Daniel seminary-educated people excluded, okay? So you go ahead and put that in. But that makes it a challenging book, confusing. There's also questions of when this book was precisely written and what kind of historical situation it uh, is speaking to. There are different genres of literature in the same book. There's stories we're very familiar with, many of us. And there's also these uh, passages that are very confusing and mysterious, even frightening with their imagery. So it's confusing. But more than that, it's even potentially controversial. Because the book of Daniel is very much written for the people of God in situations where there are complex political situations, circumstances, where things are difficult. It attends to political realities and power plays. It is a very ancient book, but it speaks to situations that we might find ourselves in today. It speaks to our present moment. It speaks to political realities in such a distinctive way that it's been used or uh, it's been a resource for people through many, many years. In Korea in the 1930s, the book of Daniel was actually banned by the occupying Japanese force because of its political potency and the way it spoke to people suffering oppression. It speaks directly to questions of power and justice and faithful versus unfaithful conduct. And that can be a little uncomfortable. It can ruffle our feathers. The book gets up in our business a little bit, and it probably will for you in the weeks to come. So potentially controversial. Not just confusing, but potentially controversial. We don't often do this, but we have actually titled this series, this fall series through the book of Daniel. We've titled it Living Faithfully in a Beastly Age. There are all kinds of beasts throughout the story of Daniel. There's the lions in the lion's den. That's, that's where you find lions, apparently. Where would those would they be? But there's also this incredible imagery of four beasts, right? The political powers, these empires that are described in beastly terms. There's even the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, who in his pride becomes like an animal. Beastly, less human in his arrogant disregard for God. The world of Daniel is beastly much like our own world, of course, where we can often feel caught in the teeth of powers much greater than ourselves, where we fear being crushed or destroyed, where we can feel ourselves being pulled into ways of being and acting that are less and less human, where we're tempted to gain the world but lose our soul. What does it mean to live faithfully in such a world? among such beastly realities, to live with integrity, with wholeness or coherence? What does it mean to be human in such times? These are precisely the questions the book of Daniel invites us to. 
the questions we'll be grappling with in this series. This morning, reflecting just on the opening verses of this book, I want to begin with three basic encouragements. These will come up in the weeks to come again, but they're present here in these first seven verses, and they're the beginnings. They're a significant part of living faithfully. Three encouragements. Recognize the players, know where you are, and remember your name. Recognize the players, know where you are, and remember your name. First, recognize the players. If you've ever read a Shakespearean play, perhaps you've seen that first page that's often included that has a list of the characters, a description of the various cast of characters who will show up in the narrative to follow. And you kind of are put on notice, right? Anticipate this person. They'll have an influence in the rest of the story. As Father Nick wrote this week in the E! News, he wrote about Apocalypse. Well, the book of Daniel is an apocalyptic book. Apocalypse is this particular, an ancient genre of literature. And it's all about revealing, unveiling. Revealing things that are hidden, pulling back the curtain, showing us what is under the surface. And part of what the book of Daniel is doing is seeking to unmask or reveal the players in history. Reveal the players that are at work in the experience of God's people. Giving a perspective that points beyond just a surface read of exile and political oppression. Revealing who the players are and their nature, right? Like these empires are in fact revealed to be spiritually beastly, uh, evil things. A spiritual reality beyond the political and unjust realities the people of God are facing. We'll have more to say about this in the weeks to come. But in these very first verses of the book, there's a clear invitation. It's subtle but clear to recognize one particular player, a player easily forgotten. These opening verses reveal the presence and work of the living God, Israel's God even in this devastating and terrifying situation the people of God find themselves in. From its very beginning, the book of Daniel invites us, invites the people of God to consider the unfolding of history as the work of the living God. The historical events these verses point to, the besieging and destruction, the capture of Jerusalem, the raiding of Yahweh's temple, all would have communicated the defeat or absence of Israel's God, right? He is not a player. That, how could he let such a thing happen and be a player affecting the story of history? Yet the perspective the book consistently offers is that these events are in fact the action of Israel's God. They occur under his lordship. The initiative for these things lies with him. That obviously prompts all kinds of questions, right? The, the problem of evil, the, the question of suffering and its presence. How could God allow such a political situation to continue? But it also challenges us, encourages us to recognize the presence of God amidst the realities of the world around us. He is not distant or removed, not absent or defeated, but active with the initiative, a player, the player in the game. Nebuchadnezzar appears to be in control. The nation is in shambles, the people in captivity. 
evil powers seem ascendant. But do not be deceived, the book says. The hand of God remains most powerful. Your life and mine unfold in the context of God's action and initiative. That's the consistent conviction of Scripture, that God's at work in history, in the world, in our lives, even in our relationships. Your singleness, your married life, your life as a child, as a parent, even in a pandemic, unfolds within God's hand. I distinctly remember when Shannon and I were preparing to get married, going through premarital counseling, the person who was leading us through it to challenging us, encouraging us to consider our marriage as something that we were not the only parties invested in, that we were not the only players in, but to think of God as a player in our marriage and specifically encouraging us to pray When you reach that point in an argument, they said, and where the problem seems intractable, where you're just at odds and you can't get beyond yourselves, pray together, invite the Lord. It's an acknowledgement, a recognition of his presence and initiative in the life of our marriage. God remains sovereign. He remains in control today, 2020 the player over all others, over the nations and superpowers, over principalities and political parties, over disease, working in all things, even when we don't understand, to his good purposes, for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 8. So recognize the players, recognize the player. And specifically, I'd commend to you that practice of prayer That is the fundamental posture of recognizing God's presence, his at-workness in the world around us. Prayer is this practice that is the beginning of faithful living, even in a beastly age. All right, second encouragement is know where you are. Know where you are. Sports have returned. Thankfully, I know so many of us are enjoying basketball playoffs and maybe some of us are watching Major League Baseball. I'm watching hockey even. Uh, And a big part of sports in normal times is home field advantage, right? Like playing in front of your home crowd where you know the nooks and crannies, the way the ball plays off the wall and that sort of thing. Right now, that's not really a factor. There's no fans in baseball. uh, Basketball is entirely in Orlando. There's neutral site. Hockey is in Edmonton and Toronto. Those are cities in Canada, for those of you who don't know. Uh, But there's no home field advantage. But in regular times, that's a major factor. Where you are affects how you conduct yourselves, how how you play the game, how you participate in the sport. The book of Daniel takes place entirely without home field advantage for the people of God. It is all about the experience of exile. The stories that we know so well, the visions, they all unfold in Babylon or Persia, far from home. It opens with the people of God violently taken from their land, their nation destroyed, people subjected to oppression. The sense of alienation, dislocation, even powerlessness is difficult to overstate. As a community of some means, as people of some privilege, I think we can be easily tempted to conceive of ourselves as at home, with home field advantage in Austin, in Texas, in the United States. We're comfortable. 
We easily navigate the ins and outs of society. We have capital of all sorts to draw upon. There's a very real temptation to see our lives, our well-being as inextricably linked with the status quo, bound up with the here and now, this place, this time. There's a temptation to forget where we are. The imagery, the language of exile, obviously doesn't fully apply to us. We have much more agency. We're not as powerless as Daniel and the others in the book of Daniel. But in a very real sense, the experience of the people of God, documented here as not at home, is the experience of the people of God at all times. Not at home. In a place among a people with a different pattern of life, citizens of a different kingdom, a different nation. Part of living faithfully is recognizing this reality, acting in accord with it. Living faithfully involves knowing where we are. This is not fundamentally about the United States. I'm a Canadian citizen. I love Canada. God calls and empowers me to be a faithful, good citizen of Canada. But I'm not finally and fully at home there. You might say, obviously, I live in Texas. But as a citizen of God's kingdom, by the grace and mercy of Jesus, I have a different end, a different vision, a different way of life. This goes for any nation. It's not just about America. But it can be a particular temptation in America, I think. Where because of the great things the United States has offered to the world, there's this language of city on a hill. That language can invite us to forget that we are made for a city that is better yet, for a different kind of city. We can get confused and forget that the city, the true city for which we're made, is the city of God, the new Jerusalem. And then that any other place is at best a place we are passing through, a temporary home, or at the worst, it is Babylon. When Christians take on the perspective that they are at home in the here and now, when we come to see ourselves inappropriately as citizens of the status quo alone, this hinders, this destroys our capacity to live faithfully as God's people. We'll see this in the weeks ahead. As a community with a lot of kids, I think a major implication of this is how we think about our children and their formation. The question of schooling, where you send your kids to school, is obviously one where Christians have freedom of conscience and discernment about where they send their kids and there's competing values and all that. What I think this suggests for us, what I want to implore us toward as parents, as people invested in the formation of the children in our community, is to recognize where we are. To recognize that we have a vision of human flourishing, of the good ordering of life that is distinct from the city, the state, the nation around us. That our children are growing up in the midst of the literature and language of Babylon, to use the image in Daniel. So whether at public, at private, at charter, or homeschooling, as parents, adults in the house of God, household of God, part of our call, part of our responsibility, living faithfully, involves thinking and praying, responding to this reality, teaching our children to remember, to know the works and ways of the living God. 
This is actually, I think, where our brothers and sisters of color, particularly in the black church, can show us the way. A few months ago, I was privileged to attend this gathering of predominantly black pastors and to hear a pastor in our city who's a fair bit older, but I think in his mid-80s, talk a little bit about his experiences. And I remember him speaking about July 4th and how little Independence Day meant to him. He actually said, July 4th is a joke to me. That is a person who is fundamentally not at home in the United States, in the mainstream narrative of the United States. Tragically so, unjustly so. But out of that experience, I've been learning these traditions, the black church in particular, has resources, has language, has ways of living out the faith, the Christian faith, with their families as church communities, as aliens, as exiles in the most literal sense. And as I said, oppressed communities have often seized on the book of Daniel, the vision of faithfulness it holds as a prime resource about what it means to be a follower of Jesus here in the Babylon that is 21st century United States. The second encouragement is know where you are. The third and final encouragement is remember your name. In our reading this morning, Daniel and these other men in verses 6 and 7, men of noble birth, model young men, are chosen to be trained and made ready for the service of the Babylonian king. It's this classic colonization tactic, right? Co-opt the leadership of this defeated nation, put them to your own use. And part of that involves giving them a new identity, new names. It's this power move. It demonstrates who is in control, we own you, we change your name. In his book, The English Patient, Michael Andache writes about the power of map making, the power of giving places names. Whoever gets to name this bay or this mountain or this river is exerting a certain level of ownership and control, making a claim. By renaming Daniel and the others, the Babylonian captors demonstrate their power, erase their past identities. They ascribe a new ownership, give them a new destiny. This was, of course, the experience of slaves coming to America, the loss of names, the eradication of the past, a new and dehumanized destiny. This actually has an added layer in Daniel as the names of the men from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, are all related to God in some way, to Yahweh's character. They all reveal a connection to the person of Israel's God. Daniel's name means God is my judge. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Azariah, Yahweh has helped. And the new names given to them are connected to Babylonian deities, chosen to replace this connection to the one true God. Part of the danger of living in exile, living in a place where you are not truly at home, is that you begin to forget who you are. You take on identities that are given to you just through your participation in life. Without intention, the scripts, the rhythms of life shape and name you. We have this experience. We're regularly named as consumer, invited to identify ourselves as material appetites and wants. We're invited to name ourselves as our own 
interior life, our feelings, our impulses, autonomous, disembodied. We're named constantly, consistently as less than or more than based upon what we've accomplished, what we own or possess. We're named in ways that carry shame, named in ways that invite striving. We're named in ways that would cut us off from the one true God, named in ways that would make beasts of us. The closing encouragement today is very simple. Remember your name, image bearer of the living God, endowed with all the beauty, the dignity, all the potential that suggests. Beloved in Christ, saved sinner, bought with a price. God thought you worthy. God named you worthy of the sacrifice of his own son. This is who you are made and redeemed by the love of the triune God, servant and friend of the Most High. Anything less, any other name, is a lie from the pit of hell, come to steal and destroy. Do not forget. Remember your name. In the weeks to come, we will see in the story of Daniel, the work, the fight, he and others have to engage in to remember who they are, to retain their identity as the people of God. But for today, as we transition to this table, as we take communion spiritually, as we anticipate uh, taking it together, his body and blood, this is an act of remembrance, remembering what God has done, This morning, I would encourage you to make it also an act of remembering who you are, reminding yourself of the name that the living God has given you, daughter or son of the great king, adopted, cherished, and beloved, God's very own. This is who you are. Do not forget. Remember your name. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.